0: It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you
1: did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at quiz.fox.
0: 2020, I know you guys, what, what a year. I mean, you may think it's a year to forget, But I can pretty much guarantee none of us will ever forget what we in the world have endured. I mean, 2020 is going to go down in history for its events, not the least of which was and still is the pandemic. Yes, this year was one of tragedy, human error. And... Outright boredom and quarantinis, but it was also a year of persistence, determination, compassion, and hope. We learned that we are not invincible, but that we are all stronger when we work together. Now, in March, we were pushed to our limits to create an almost all virtual world as we swapped in our stilettos for slippers and our pantsuits for sweatpants. There were many nights where many of us just sat in front of our TVs, terrified to hear the news of the day. And then there were other times where we smiled watching thousands of people around the world, New York, LA, small towns on their balconies, clapping for our healthcare workers. But most of all, I would have to say 2020 was a year to take a pause, a true time of reflection. And that's just what we want to do this week on Everyone Talks to Liz. We have had some incredible guests this past year that demonstrate you truly have to go through hell to get to heaven. So as we enter 2021 with a uh, new hope, certainly, and a new vaccine or two, we compiled the most golden of our golden nuggets from our most inspirational Everyone Talks to Liz guests. And, and you know what? If you have to pick one company name, let's become a verb. Come on, it's Zoom, right? But well before the pandemic, we spotted the founder, Eric Yuan, as a perfect guest for Everyone Talks to Liz, because Eric's the ultimate American dream story. He grew up in China and applied and was rejected, not once, not twice, but eight times for a U.S. visa. Man, are we happy he was persistent and never gave up.
1: I need to get a visa. I thought of that very easy, right? To mm-hmm. get a visa to come here to take a look. But uh, unfortunately, I got a decline. The first time I tried eight times, Nice attempt, I was successful when I came here, is already nineteen ninety seven.
0: Oh, So ninth time was the charm. Didn't you feel at certain points like giving up? Some people, in fact, many people give up after the first no. Surely a lot of people give up after the fourth. And by the seventh, forget it. It's just not going to work. What kept you? What was inside you that kept you pursuing and persisting?
1: I think, first of all, the good news was that I never thought about giving up. And I already told myself, I told my wife, hey, as long as they, they let me let me try, I will try maybe twenty times, thirty times. That's okay, and because I really you know wanted to you know come to Silicon Valley to embrace you know the first wave of internet revolution, and uh, no matter how many how many times, as long as they let me try, I I I, I never thought about giving up.
0: You know, there's a famous baseball player who once said, "You can't." beat a man who just won't give up. And that sounds like you. So you get here. And what were your first impressions of America? I'm assuming you got to Silicon Valley, right?
1: That's right. I I remember uh, clearly, I think I landed in San Francisco Airport uh, in August 1997. And, you know, back in 1997, everybody talk about the internet. Silicon Valley, wow, that's crazy time. And so many uh, internet startup companies and here are the people very friendly. There are so many successful people here and the weather is great. And uh, I joined WebEx as one of the first several phone engineers and just just bring winning back to write a code. I really like it. And uh, yeah, so I worked so hard and uh, very excited actually.
0: Oh, well that's a real driver obviously. And, and you know, So you're working at WebEx, and um, I'm just, I guess I really want to know more granular detail of what surprised you about America? What fascinated you about
1: it? I think uh, what surprised me, first thing is about a culture difference. And, uh, you know, before I came here, my father already told me that, hey, this is the new world. And you got to work hard and also stay humble. I, I did take that, you know, advice. However, you know, the, the reason why I got rejected for the first time, you know, this application it, it is it's about a culture, you know, the, the difference. And uh, when I came here, because you know, I never uh, went to any school, you know, here. And uh, I, I realized if I, want, if I wanted to be successful here, I got to take a step back to learn the culture here. Mm-hmm. I think that surprised me a lot if, we, if I did not spend the time on learning the culture here.
0: And from Eric, that brings me to another incredible story, but with a twist that involved leaving your ego at the door if you want to find part two life of your success.
2: I mean, I worked at Walmart when I, when I had a full scholarship at LSU. I had two jobs, working for five years. I worked. I worked. And I mean, things were it was hard. Went to school, uh, practiced. I failed on a lot of things. I mean, I wasn't the best student. Uh, I'm, I failed classes. I had to take them over again. I took chemistry three times in college. Finally made that C. That was a tough C to make. <gasps> but I passed uh. chemistry. But I mean, I did it. you know. And I think kids today, they don't understand – I mean, it, it's, it's, it does a lot to them mentally when they give up so, so fast because they don't understand they have a whole life in front of them. And people judge them often. And kids don't understand because they say, you know what, I'm going to go find the, the, the next job. I'm going to go do something else. I'm going to do something that's easier.
0: That's Jarvis Green. He was a star in the NFL. But once his football career was over – Yes, he mopped floors and did what it took to find success in the restaurant food supply business. He told us there are no shortcuts to success.
2: So I go back to a friend of mine, owed him a favor, and um, he asked me to help his family to sell shrimp. You know, and I was more like, well, I don't know anything about shrimp. I know how it tastes, I like <laughs> to eat shrimp, and, and, and got into, uh, you know, an internship six months, and I tell people the story, and I remember some people that didn't really know me. They, always, they say, like, if you're in this for the money, you're in the wrong profession. And I sit there, I get pissed. I said, you don't know that I have had a mop in the room and worked six months without pay and learned everything from the bottom up. I learned the business. I wanted to be someone in that business. And was it easy? The road wasn't easy. People told me you shouldn't be here. You don't belong here. And being an African-American in the shrimp business, that's rare. So a lot of times for me, when I had my meetings, I was the only black guy in the room. Still today when I have, you mm-hmm. know, my shrimp discussions and, and I'm growing and I mean I had my ups and downs, but I just always I tell my kids, I mean, I had to work, I had to earn this 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 job, I had to earn this title. No one say, hey man, you got a million dollars in this shrimp facility, you got all the brand, you got all the sauces, you got all the shrimp you need and go sell shrimp. It wasn't that way. It didn't happen that way. You know, so when people see where I'm at today, yeah, I mean I've made some money, lost some money, but Creating, creating. I went to school for engineering. So creating something, putting it out to the market. And the thing about that is people have to like it. You have to promote it. You have to market it. It costs money to to do all those different things. So I'm sitting here now today for five years, six years in. And now, like you said, I have the chance to sell to the world. Well, Amazon is that lift for me. You know, but I do sell in local supermarkets like a Rouse's Market, Chris Specialty Meats. I sell in a few, a few different stores in the Boston Northeast area. But, but I mean, I've done, done the big chains. I've done all that. Mm-hmm. I'm ha- I had my shot with Walmart. It didn't work. I had my shot with other companies. But still, adversity. Do yes. not give up.
0: As March rolled around and, and the gym started to close, one thing we noticed is that sneaker sales shot up. I mean, everyone laced up their shoes to head outside to stay in shape. The Silicon Valley elite reached for all birds, the sustainable soft shoe made of wool and rubber. Founders Tim Brown and Joey's Willinger revealed to us how their simple shoe concept blew up the traditional view of footwear.
3: I I mean, literally, the the first footwear factory I visited, I'd found on Google. Where was it? uh, It was in Indonesia. And I I showed up, knew nothing about it, and kind of talked my way in there and made the first uh, shoe, brought it back to my teammates at the time who laughed at me. And then I went again, and I went again, and I went again, and again, and again, and literally hundreds of efforts to try and get this right. We were only making one shoe. We didn't want to make a range or a style at the stage it was. If you were going to make one sneaker – and that was all you could make. What would it look like? And so it was this relentless pursuit of trying to get this thing right over, over you know years. I started working on two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight, and it was two thousand and fourteen when we launched the Kickstarter campaign.
0: Why didn't you give up?
3: It's a good question. Uh, it looks a little crazy sometimes in, in hindsight, but I there was a there was a vision for what this thing could be, and we just didn't quite get there. And so it was until we did, I wasn't prepared to give up. Um, There's lots of times you want to, but I I think you just keep on going. And in some ways, you're energized by all the people that know a lot more in a weird sort of way that are telling you that you should stop.
0: At some point, you think to yourself, I'm a pro soccer player. I need an engineer. Joey, that was your expertise. So what did you bring to the picture as you knew what his parameters were? You wanted it sustainable. You wanted it to be logo-free. So talk about the trial and error process and and how many hashtag (coughs) fails
4: you had. Yeah, I mean, it was was very difficult from a technical perspective. But, but, you know, I think what made it easier was the purpose of why we decided to do it together. So, So just rewinding a touch before we... Before we get to the the shoe construction, which is which is an important part of the story, Tim Tim was um, I think finishing up really the the a very long year after the Kickstarter and and at the urging again of our wives, we uh, we got together and Tim flew from London where he was living at the time to my house in the Bay Area, and we we talked about the opportunity in the shoe industry. We talked about how much waste there was we talked about the over logo the over design principles that were being used to pop off the shelf in in these struggling retail businesses and and the brands had to really like do something to get people's attention when they walk into a store where there's 300 styles of shoes so how do we simplify that how do we deliver an offering and we we came up with the with with the idea from a business perspective that this simple design was really fantastic particularly if it stood alone in our own retail channel. And so we we really believe from the beginning that doing vertical retail and and having every one of our sales directly with with our customer was a very important principle. Yeah,
0: you didn't want some middleman, like, uh, you know, no criticism of Bloomingdale's or, you know, Foot Locker, but you wanted that direct relationship. Yeah.
4: and And they're struggling. And there's a lot of unintended consequences when the retail giants struggle. What happens to the brands? They go for fast and cheap. That's, that's what they devolved to. But I think most importantly, that was the business strategy. We had a, we had a good financial opportunity. But w- where I was working at the time was in environmental sciences and working to use the private sector to combat climate change. And I was doing it through <clears throat> a biotech company where we were engineering organisms and com- and making products that competed with petroleum, either fuel or chemicals. And so when Tim and I got together, I think what we really connected on was that not only do we have a great business opportunity, but we had a leadership opportunity to do something that the world really needed and, and that consumers really wanted. Consumers want businesses to offer a, a, a fantastic product and not have that have to compromise on the planet. Or and, the price. <clears throat> or the price. No compromise. There, there, and, and none is necessary. I just think the really? brands that have existed for the last fifty years have been built on a different paradigm, and they haven't been looking under the rocks that we look under.
0: So, what is this soul made of? What is in here right now?
4: So we call it sweet foam, but it's a it's a waste stream off of sugarcane processing. It's one of the most environmentally friendly. Uh, uh, crops in the world in terms of producing carbon and sucking carbon out out of the atmosphere. And we've turned that into a foam bottom made out of sugarcane.
0: And this, of course, is wool, which takes you back to your New Zealand roots. And merino wool.
4: Lots of sheep in New Zealand.
0: I don't know if you guys also remember this, but uh, one of the first countries that got hit with COVID after China was Italy. And their supply chain for Allbirds went through Italy. But They figured out a way as most winners do. We're not done yet. We'll be back in a moment.
5: Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go to home services marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now, you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you, it's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. John Paul DeJoria,
0: the co-founder of Paul Mitchell Hair Products. He has to be one of my favorite guests of all time. Okay, parents, let me save you some time here. Sit your kids down and have them listen to my Everyone Talks to Liz podcast with John on how he grew up poor, but with a mom who taught him how to live a grateful life.
6: What happened is this, and it's, it's a message to give out to everyone out there, is whenever you do something, do it as if nobody but you and God is doing it, but do it the same way as if your boss was watching you do it exactly the same way. Why waste time? One other little story I'll share this less than a minute. 66 years old, Elena was our nanny. One day we took our little son out for lunch. Take the next couple hours off, watch TV, make your own lunch, put Mexican TV on, you know, I think it was channel 28 at the time. Put your feet in the air, right? She says, no, mister, I'm not going to do that." Said, Please, you're going to get paid for it. You know, we love you. Just take, I can't do that. And then she says to me, I'm 66 years old, and who knows how many decades I have left on this life. What's God going to give me? Do I want to waste my life and watch TV and go numb in the skull or do nothing? I would feel better and happier if I take my little dusting brush and find something I didn't dust or rearrange something. That makes me feel good. In other words, what's missing today is a lot of people want something for nothing. Or if they have free time, they waste that, whether it's watching TV or doing absolutely nothing or going to the bar or getting high or whatever it might be. You're, you have so much time. Why not contribute that time to something productive? Once you start doing that, you get more energetic, you're happier in life. And that's that's one from a lady that probably never even went to grammar school from Central America that was just the most wonderful lady.
0: John went from homeless and sleeping in his car and taking a huge risk, spending money he didn't even have, to start this company. And today, he's a billionaire and still has great hair.
6: I set up the bottle man, the silk screener, and the filler on thirty-day credit, but we needed the artwork. He wanted a thousand dollars for it just the black and white without adding color to it. So we told him the truth. We only have $700. Can we give you $300 now? Because we could use the rest. He goes, nope. (laughs) Give me the $700. I'll never see the rest. And we did. So I said, what the heck? I've been there before, you know, in my early 20s. I'm going to sleep in my car. There's a good spot on Mojo and drive Riker Park safely. Go down to Griffith Park. By gosh, go down there, you know, and take my shower. Go to the Freeway Cafe for 99 cents. Have breakfast. Go to El Torito at that time had happy hour where you could have a ninety nine cent margarita, but they gave you these little chicken wings and all this salsa free. <laughs> that was dinner. Endless and chips. They would go- that was it so from the time the chips and the salsa but that's you know a lot of chips and salsa and a couple of little chicken wings you're full and then I asked the, the vendors I said look instead of the hundred thousand bottles can I have a sample order of only ten thousand? Four hundred of the conditioner I mean four thousand the conditioner three thousand each of our two shampoos yes you could do that okay we understand it's a sample order they immediately shipped it to the silk screener who immediately same thing's a sample order can you do it we never said we have no money we a sample order we didn't lie but we said we want a sample order anyways from the time we got the bottles to the silk screener the silk screener to the filler was two weeks within two weeks the first bill was due I piled product in my car and drove up Ventura Boulevard in Los Angeles, knocking salon to salon. Why salons? Because that was the industry I knew about. And that was the industry. My partner was a top hairstylist and his girlfriend were two of the best educators in that industry. Hmm. So, door to door, like I sold encyclopedias. And by the end of the first week, I had sold 12 salons product, anywhere from like 30 some odd dollars to I think the most was $120. So, now I had that money in my pocket. I went. Straight down to the biggest distributor in the city, Paris Ace. To Mr. Jim Hendrietto headed it up, I said, Here's my new product line, Paul Mitchell. Would you like to take it on? You could be the exclusive for all of LA Ooh. and Orange County. For only $2,000 of product. You get it all. He looked me in the eye and said, JP, great presentation. You're a great guy, but why do I need this? I have all the big lines. We're the biggest company around here. I don't need your line. I said, can I give you one reason why? He goes, yes, please, because we really don't want to promote your line because we're going to be promoting it, not you. You have no money. So I peeled out all 12 orders and all 12 checks that I got and put them right in front of him. I said, that's your first 12 orders. There's your first 12 checks. I will go in the field with your salespeople and teach him how to sell it. He laughed. He says, how much do I have to buy? I said, only $2,000. He goes, he laughed and said, I'm going to give you a break, but you better be here every day till it's sold. They said, great. I said, but the next thing is this. We're just starting out. Would you please give me the $2,000 when the product's delivered? He laughed and said, nope, we pay our bills in 45 days. I already knew that in advance, obviously, mm-hmm. in the industry. I tacked up to the price of my product 5% automatically when I went in to see. That was his price. So I said, look, we need the money. If you will pay when it's delivered, I'll give you a 5% discount off the whole bill immediately. He goes, "Well, that's pretty good. He goes, you know what? I don't normally do this, JP. In fact, I don't. But again, be here. I love your story. It was funny. You're great. I'll do it.
0: And how about Erica Nardini, the CEO of super hot media giant Barstool Sports, how did a woman get the top job at what has to be one of the most male-oriented sport and lifestyle websites? Well, she took a gutsy leap during an interview that had nothing to do with the Barstool sports job.
7: Yeah, it was funny. So I was I was a CMO of AOL. I had like worked my way up. I felt like that's what I always wanted to be. I was like, I'm gonna be a CMO. I really want to be a CMO. I was so happy when I got that title at AOL. Um and But what I started realizing, Liz, like six months into it is like, I'm not very happy. I had that same feeling I had back in Fidelity where I'm just like, I'm not fulfilled. I'm not like, I'm not passionate about what I'm doing. Like, I don't feel like I'm learning and growing. Like, I just feel like I'm going through the motions. So uh, left to go uh, be part of a, you know, jumpstart a music startup and I had gone to meet the Chernin group so Peter Chernin who you know was with Fox for a long long time yeah, um, sure. he has a very very successful you know kind of media investment firm I guess I would call it and I went to see them it was January of 2016 And we're in a meeting about something else. And I was nervous about the meeting. I was excited about it. And they said, hey, there's this company. We just invested in Barstool Sports. I'm sure you've never heard of them. And I said, hold one second pulled out my phone and I was like, oh, I've heard of Barstool Sports. And I lit up and I showed them the app and I was like, here's everything I love about Barstool Sports. Here's everything they could be doing. This is why this could be such a big company and a big brand. And God, this app is like the biggest piece of you've ever seen. So, um, and I went on and on and on and on. And I and I knew that they were going to be looking for a guy and they were, they're were going to be looking for someone with a business degree or somebody who worked in sports or, you know, somebody who kind of fit the profile. And I left and I was, I just felt jealous, to be honest with you, Liz. I was just like, oh, I wish I could have a chance. You know, they're going to look for a CEO. I wish I could have a chance. And. I had a friend who uh, who went to the same college that I did, and she'd graduated a couple of years before me, and she she was kind of in my women's mafia um, and a mentor. And I knew that she knew Dave Portnoy, the founder of Barstool. And I was like, that's like, at any point, I would just sometime love to meet Dave. Like, I, mm-hmm. sometime I would, and I didn't want to come on too strong, and I didn't want to ask too much. Um, but then she introduced me to Dave, and Dave and I had coffee in the West village and totally hit it off. Like not in the context of looking for a CEO. I just wanted to meet him. Um, we had an awesome conversation. Like it was like, you know, thousand ideas and talking about things and brother, brother from another mother. Yeah. Like I was just like, I love this guy and mm-hmm. God, what a cool company and God, he could do so much. I, could, I know, I know the things that could help. Um, and I had so much respect for what Barstool was and what he had built and long story short, went through the process. I was the only candidate that didn't tell them that they were doing something wrong or that they needed to change how they did what they did. Um, and I think I was probably the candidate who was most passionate about the brand and most optimistic and excited about the future. And I'd never been a CEO. Uh, the chairman, peer chairman, was like, I don't know if you can do this job or not. And I was like, I'm going to do this job and the rest is kind of been history you know we noticed that so
0: many of our everyone talks to liz guests are either first generation americans or immigrants isaac larian fled iran as a young boy and arrived in america with just about nothing except persistence today the billionaire founder of mga entertainment this is the company behind Bratz and lol surprise dolls is pure inspiration
8: i have grown children i always tell them that uh, past experiences make us who Mm -hmm. we are. And instead of playing victim, you always have to look back to look forward. And, uh, you know, uh, growing up in Iran, uh, my father, uh, who was in textile business, went bankrupt. And we had to move to literally the slums of Tehran where we had no running water, no light, etc. I remember doing homework under candlelight. And the water we would get from the gutters uh, in a big well and drink it from there. So I had a tough, tough childhood uh, because not only uh, going to school, but after school I had to work at my father's shop every day (laughs) since I was eight or nine years old. When I turned... 16, 17 uh, and watching a lot of western movies I remember very uh, clearly one of the movies that really got me excited was uh, Easy Easy Rider (laughs) sure (laughs) and uh, I I looked at it and said oh my god people are beautiful this is is where I want to go so uh, I was insistent and i told my parents i need to get out i need to go somewhere else to make a better life my father was able to borrow about 753 dollars to be exact and a one-way ticket on a pan-american airline and i came to la uh, and uh, and unlike the movie easy rider there were no blonde or red-headed uh, in the, in the airport to pick me up <laughs> nobody was there. So so make the long story short you know, I moved uh, to uh, I moved to a area in LA called Inglewood. I had a single apartment and uh, when I got that apartment uh literally from the uh, deposit and uh, Everything else within 30 days, that 753 dollar with food and everything else just went mm-hmm. away. And uh, I had, I remember, I had 25 quarters left in my pocket. And uh, I was a kid, you know. And to be honest, with you, if I had a, if I had a ticket, I would go back. But uh, I walked all the way from Inglewood down about 11 miles. To Lawndale, and I went to every gas station, every Seven Eleven, every restaurant, everywhere to ask for a job, and I couldn't get anything until about five thirty, six p.m. I arrived at the coffee shop called the Spire's Coffee Shop, and which is still there. Yeah, by I way. know. And and I went there, and they said no to me. So uh, you know, I turned around started walking back home. I couldn't even afford a bus ride. I mean, I had 25 quarters left. I guess I could gather RTD, but I wanted to save every penny. And frankly, I remember I was, Liz, I was very hungry and crying walking back. And then a guy who was in the coffee shop came and put his uh, hand on my shoulder, asked me if I was Persian, And I said, yes, and he talked to me in Farsi. He was the chef cooking in the Spires coffee shop uh, there, and he was also, I I found out later on, the manager of the chain. So he took me back, gave me liver and onion, which I still go to the restaurant to eat once in a while. (laughs) I have the taste in my mouth, and uh, he gave me a job as a dishwasher at sixty five an hour and uh, uh, in the graveyard shift from 11 to 7 a.m. and that is how I started but I always had a big dream I learned that you need to survive I learned that uh, not to play a victim that uh, dream big and uh, and that's you know I was a dishwasher for a while Then I was promoted to a waiter, uh, no, busboy first, then a waiter. And, uh, you know, I I went to school at Cal State LA, got a civil engineering degree, but worked in restaurants all the time uh, from there. And uh, when the revolution in Iran happened, I went there to take a look and I found out that I can't, that's not the place for me. So, I came back to America and started a company called Micro Games of America, which was basically selling uh, mail or the giftware. And that's where the name MGA came from. Ah, oh, okay. So, yeah, so now we are the largest privately held toy company in, in the USA. And uh, I think uh, it was my calling always to try to give back.
0: And talk about life taking you down roads you never imagined. Sint Marshall was the first African-American cheerleader in the history of Cal Berkeley football. Her energy propelled her to major executive heights at AT AT&T, but even she could not have predicted the phone call she'd get later in life from the one and only Shark Tank star Mark Cuban, the billionaire entrepreneur and owner of the Dallas Mavericks.
9: And I guess the Lord had other plans. When uh, Mark Cuban ended up uh, calling me and it was February the 21st. It was the day the Reverend Billy, Dr. Billy Graham died. And I remember getting up that morning and I was writing a blog post on impact because I was being impacted by two different things. Number one, we had the the teenagers who were actually protesting in Parkland, Florida, uh, because of what had happened there. And then the Reverend Billy Graham passed away. And so I was sitting there writing a post about the impact these teenagers were having on my life. And the impact that Billy Graham had had on my life, my whole life, and I thought, okay, I'm actually smack dab, you know, I'm like 58 years old. I'm right in the 57 years old. I'm right in the middle of this. And so after I finished writing that, I was on a call with my client, and my other phone rang. I mean, I kept getting text messages, and Liz, I thought it was one of my four kids. Uh- <laughs> I mean, honestly, I thought it was one of my kids texting me for money because you know that's what they do at that age, right? And, yeah. so, and I told my husband, I said get this phone because one of, the, one of the kids need money, so just transfer it, whatever it is. And I kept on with my client. And then he came, <laughs> up, he said, hang up the phone. He said, uh, Mark Cuban is trying to reach you. Liz, don't judge me, okay? Don't judge me. But Who's I said, Mark Cuban? Who's Mark Cuban? Ah! I, I didn't know. Okay, I didn't know. And when I think about it, people say, you didn't know Mark Cuban? I said, well, he didn't know me either, Okay. He's living his life. I'm living my life. I got four kids. I got a career. I got all kinds of extracurricular, you know, stuff going on with my nonprofits. Didn't watch a whole lot of TV. I didn't know him. That's just the bottom line. And some people don't believe that I don't care what they believe. I did not know the man. And so when my husband's trying to tell me who he is and finally he just said, tell your client, you'll have to call him back. It looks like something's going on. Mm. And so when I called him, he asked me if I could come and see him. He told me he was having a crisis. And asked me if I had seen, you know, kind of on the news or anything, what was going on. I said, no. And he said, can you come and see me or I'll come and see you? And Liz, you'll love this. I told him, I said, I have a mammogram at 2 o'clock. And I have learned the hard way what happens when you don't keep your doctor's appointment. Mm. I said, I'm a, I'm a stage, stage 3 colon cancer survivor because I didn't have a colonoscopy when I was supposed to. I said, so I'll have to come and see you later. And so we scheduled it, 4 o'clock went to see him. It was storming that day. I went to my mammogram. I came back home. My husband was decked out in Mavs colors, (laughs) head to toe. And I'm thinking, what is going on here? Head to toe, black suit, the blue shirt, the blue gray. I'm like, what are you doing? He said, I looked up all the colors. And my husband is not a fashion guy. Okay. He said, I looked up all the colors (laughs) when you were gone. And these are the colors you're supposed to have on. He said, it can't be Golden State Warriors colors. It can't be Cal colors. I mean, you're going to have to like Enough with the blue and gold. Here's what you need to wear in there. So I guess my husband decided that I was going to take this opportunity. I hadn't decided that. And so I told him, I said, well, I need you to grab your iPad. I'll grab mine. We got to read up on what's going on before I get to his office. And honestly, by the time I got to the Mavs office, I had decided, hmm, I'm probably not going to do this. I mean, if everything in this Sports Illustrated article is true, what woman in her right mind wants to work here, if it's true? And so my husband's like, well, let's just go in and talk. And I will tell you, I got the warmest greeting from the receptionist and then from Mark. And then we talked for about 55 minutes about what was going on at the Mavs. And he told me what he wanted me to do. He told me, you know, he had got my name from some folks and he said, I need help here. And he was so sincere about really wanting to help. He told me some things that he had heard, you know, that were going on. He had met with the employees that morning. And frankly, he was, he was broken. He was broken. And so I asked him a lot of questions because I'm trying to honestly make sure, you know, he's not a part of the problem. And I told him, I said, my brand is important to me. I've spent 36 years, you know, trying to work on it. Uh, My brand is important to me. And I I can't give it up uh, coming into an organization, you know, with these kind of issues. And so I need to pray about it. Left his office. Two women stopped me on the way out of his office. Uh, told me some of their stories and why and they asked me if I was the person you know who Mark said was going to come in and talk to and, you know I helped them and so I went home prayed right about it came back the next day and Mark I was there for three hours before Mark even knew I was there because as I walked in employees just started talking to me I found a conference room and for three hours they were just coming in talking to me and then finally he came in he said I didn't know you had come back and so I said yeah he said, I guess the answer is yes I said, yes. And it just dawned on me, you know, even when I was praying and talking to people, for some reason, I was just uniquely qualified to to do it, to pull a team together. I had worked on cultural transformation. I had led people and I just felt called to do it at that time for the sisterhood. Now it ended up being broader than that, but I just felt like, okay, whatever else I think I'm getting ready to do, I'm putting it on hold because this is obviously what the Lord needs for me to do right
0: now. This has been a year for me to discover and share the stories of so many successful people who, yes, went through hell to get to heaven. And guess what, you guys? We've got so many more in 2021. Listen to their stories. Use them as jet fuel to power your own climb and to reach your dreams. Thank you so much for tuning in every week to Everyone Talks to Liz. We are far from done with this one. Happy New Year let's hope for a much better 2021
3: from the Fox News Podcasts Network I'm Ben Dominich Fox News contributor and editor of the transom.com daily newsletter and I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week it's the Ben Dominic podcast
2: Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.